It's a very, you should grow it out all the time. It looks healthy. Your hair looks healthy for sure. Did he send us? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, hair was not my thing. I did hair during the pandemic too, and it's way too much effort. That's wild. That's Sarah Spain looking at a picture of Charlie Kravitz, who is um, more than just hands. <laughs> Welcome to Debatable. I'm Israel Gutierrez. That's Sarah again. Hey, I don't, don't think we're allowed to show his face. <laughs> and, that, and that's how Charlie looks all the time. Wait, he's the white? Head that's attached to, Charlie, <laughs> to Charlie's hands, and that's David Dennis Jr. We are presented by Corona. And I'm wearing flamingos on my shirt because never have I felt more proud to be a Miami. And actually, that's not true. Probably around mid 2010s. I like the flamingos. I like those. Thank you. Thank you. A friend of mine said they look like fancy pajamas, which mm, I don't I dig necessarily it. I'm agree cool with. with that. It's comfortable. Speaking yeah. of comfortable, I'm pretty comfortable right now. The Dolphins at 2 0. Just kind of showing off a little bit in that fourth quarter against the Baltimore Ravens. And there's a big game this Sunday. The Dolphins are relevant. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I am sleeping in these pajamas. But what do we got, Charlie? Okay. Now that you've seen your face. First question is, okay, Mike McDaniel went out and said that the Dolphins are really going to see how good they are playing the Bills. But my question for you all, do you give them a chance against Buffalo? Uh, it is, fortunately for Dolphins fans, kind of a house money game because even though they did come back and beat the Ravens uh, on Sunday with all those touchdowns in the fourth quarter, it's still pretty clear that the Buffalo Bills should be a favorite in this division, maybe in the conference, maybe in the NFL, given the way they've been playing. And Josh Allen tends to dominate the Miami Dolphins pretty, like, he tends to show off against the Dolphins. And I would say in terms of offenses, I give them both a pretty good chance to have a shootout if that's the way the game goes. But if I'm going to give one team more of a chance of shutting the other down, it's probably the Buffalo Bills. I know they've got some injuries there, some questionable guys in their starting lineup that might or might not play, but it seems like they're probably going to play. And just based on the his, just based on these first two games, it looks like the Dolphins have some holes to fill. Defensively, maybe, maybe have to have those types of performances from those receivers in order to keep up. But I mean, I give them more of a chance than I did, say, mm -hmm. you know, at halftime of the <laughs> two Ravens quarters game. ago. Yeah, two quarters ago. Um, I agree with a lot of your analysis. I do think it is going to be worth looking at Dane Johnson and Micah Hyde being out in the secondary for the Bills because they have had a ton of success since the start of last year against the deep ball, which is something that Miami feasted on in that last game. But with a secondary that's beat up, how does that affect their ability to shut down those those long routes like uh, that you are now looking at the Dolphins in a totally different way after seeing the speed and the ability of both uh, Waddle and Hill to be running those deep balls and for Tua to get the ball to them as well that was the question mark right to his deep ball ability and his his accuracy there and we saw a lot of it um the other night that really made us feel better about it i i, I agree with you on your take though i think buffalo's defense has made other teams look embarrassing through two right. weeks we started the year with me saying i gotta i gotta wait and see how the rams are because i can't tell if the rams are terrible or if they just got worked by a defense that's going to embarrass a whole lot of teams week two another embarrassment for a team that had looked good in week one and just could not hang with that buffalo bills d so i'm confident in the defensive side more for buffalo and i do think you're right there could be a shootout offensively in terms of both of these offenses um i still think buffalo my argument last night on Spain and Fitz was that they are still sort of like me on the chart for 
height for children. Everyone's right around here. And then there's like a random dot up here. Uh, that was me for most of my childhood. I feel like that's the bills. Like everyone, there's a good chunk. There's some really bad ones, mm. but there's a good chunk that's all kind of together. And you're trying to figure out where it sifts out. And then Buffalo is up here. Uh, and I think I, I give them a chance if things go wrong, but I've got the bills in this one. Can I talk about those baby charts real quick? That are that one <laughs> yeah. thing that that yeah. drives me crazy about that. Like when you t- like when you tell people like how your child's measurements, they have no frame of reverent reference. They just say, "Oh wow, they're so big." No matter right. what you say, like right. like yeah, my child is a. Uh, 13 inches and uh, not always though sometimes they're they're underweight sometimes they're they're underweight underweight. sometimes they're small on the chart what I don't understand is if the chart is supposed to be everyone how am I off of it there's got to be other kids that are tall like I should be somewhere on the chart still I shouldn't be like floating up here somewhere like you're a freak yeah those charts those charts are absolutely uh, ridiculous anyway so yes you know what I like I like the Dolphins chances here actually uh i think we're going to learn two things we're going to learn about the bill that bill secondary because this is their first real sort of test i mean i think mm-hmm. the rams just could not you know that offensive line didn't give stafford enough time to really test that secondary and the titans are a disaster and i think we're really going to see how those injuries how that you know the secondary which people are already questioning as their weak link along with their rushing game how they're going to look against um you know, Waddle and Hill, which Mina Kimes compared them to Stephen Clay. I was trying to go mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the Dash brothers. I was trying oh. to I was trying to make fetch happen and call them the Dash brothers. Izzy, <laughs> call your people in, in Miami like make it. that happen. And uh I, I want to see also how Tua performs under pressure. Uh except which they're he was dolphins. The worst quarterback. So should they just be Splash are... Brothers? <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because dolphins Guys, don't run. Uh, is that has that been taken already? I don't know. Yeah, I gotta yeah, yeah. I gotta break some news to you guys. This is real breaking uh, go news. Go for it. Uh, yeah. Shams, ju- sorry, Shams. we can play the horn. horn. Let's play the horn. Real breaking news. Uh, Shams just okay. reported Robert Sarver is selling both of his teams, the Phoenix Suns. Whoa! And the Mercury. Oh, wow. hello. Okay, so, let's go. So the Adam Silver public pressure pressure plan seemed to work. If you remember, I think it was during the WNBA Finals. He mentioned he's like, "Hey, we'll see how it." You know, he's basically implying we'll see what the pressure feels like for him and see if maybe he gives up the team individually. And it looks like that's going to happen. Or it was Windhorst Ooh. on ESPN Daily who put together a very compelling and well researched point about how that would have to be the way this went down and how it should be because it was an embarrassment for the league and a disappointment to those who had advocated for the progressive issues that the league portends to stand behind or pretends pretends I should say to stand behind um, but that ultimately there was no power Um, wow that's big and so is the amount of money he's going to make for being a bad dude (laughs) right yes he gets to sell the team but what a punishment is that he gets to make billions of dollars Two billion I'm just, dollars i thought i was gonna have to talk talk sports today more racism just dropped again oh, goodness <laughs> Christ, let's, let's get to it it's breaking, sort of win-win for the league dropped. obviously just in terms of other owners not having to put that pressure and then maybe sort of expose their own, own organizations but i kind of wish that would have happened you know I, I do feel like there's an entire league sort of scrambling to get their house in order if you will and maybe maybe we can avoid situations like this uh in the present and in the future but um, it feels I, like a, a good I agree, day Izzy, but I, NBA. I think worth noting is so like Draymond called for a vote from the owners. Um, Windhorse very 
astutely and accurately pointed out that owners didn't want specific kinds of offenses to be something you could have your team taken away for. But in this case, it is still a warning shot that the Situ the, the situation that we're in now, the climate that we're in now, will not simply allow you to keep or hang on to something or ex you know, make a, an empty apology and then let it die and say, well, we don't have the power to do something. They're going to sort of force your hand. And so it's not the same as his team being taken from him, but it is a big step in terms of other owners looking around and checking on their house, I think. Yes, Charlie. Go ahead, Charlie. Uh, speaking of today's climate, can I read you a bit of his release statement from the, on this? Yes, please. Um, so he started by saying, hold on, let me bring this up, is, as a man of faith, I believe in atonement and the path to forgiveness. I expected that the commissioner's one-year suspension would provide the time for me to focus, make amends, and remove my personal controversy from the teams that I and so many fans love. But in our current unforgiving climate, it has become painfully clear that that Cancel is no culture. longer possible. That whatever oh, good I have done or could still do is outweighing is outweighed by the things that I've said in the past. For those reasons, I'm beginning the process of seeking buyers for the Suns and Mercury. First yeah, of we all, we have higher standards for human beings. He went full cancel culture on full us. Full like, victim. Was a, like, I wish. <laughs> I he wish I wants, could take a year. Yeah. He wants the tour that that football coach that made his players pray is on, where they like legally got him his job back, but he won't show up for it because he's too busy getting like gold-plated guns yeah. and other presents from people along the political circuit. That's what he, he wants. wants. He, he needs to, to be a martyr. That... He needs to be the victim here so that when he sells his team, he's embraced by all of the people who will say that it was unfair that he had to sell. Okay, real quick though, what is more annoying? Let's. We have to pick one. As the father of a daughter for people who are sexist misogynists or as a man of faith man for of people faith. who are like some combination of horrific uh, in, you know, racist misogynists. I've got to go so. with the father of a daughter because then you're throwing the daughter into whatever you're talking about. And she may or may not uh, be in any agreement of what you're saying. The thing that drives right. me nuts and is the idea that child of a mother. And so they're like, right. they're just <laughs> insulting. Like, I don't care about my mom I, or sisters or friends. Honorable mention for I have X number of adopted black kids. Ooh, ooh, or, ooh. Or some kids. of my best friends are black, which charge. is the, the OG. Some of my best friends are black is up there yes. for sure. The most yes. annoying part to me is the idea that you're asking for a second chance as if you've gone all these years, all these decades, not recognizing what you're do that what you're doing is wrong. So we're supposed to be okay with the idea that, hey, you've gotten to this position of power. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't know this is the way you're supposed to treat other people. Right. Okay, we'll give you another chance. It's just, just I mean, right. it's setting up for what you're saying, Sarah, is just for him to be championed afterward by a certain group of people, but it's just, it's just such an embarrassingly obvious playbook. And well, and all tired. the decades of people telling you that you're not allowed to say the N word that didn't sink in but now right. that you got caught all of a sudden you truly understand and get it like all the people who told you you're not supposed to behave around your employees the way that he did particularly women you didn't get it but now that you're being threatened with a year suspension all of a sudden it clicks in like people want that whole accountability and transparency of change to happen overnight when they get caught yes Charlie. Can, I ask, can i ask you some follow-up questions on this because the the thing that it's obviously We've clowned Sarver a lot for this statement, but I actually want to ask about the power dynamic of the NBA because we thought there wouldn't be accountability because of what it would mean for other owners and the fact that this was being 
called for by, you know, the most powerful players of the league. And it seems mm-hmm. like the power and influence of other players and the public pressure is what's forcing this sale. And I want to know from you guys, do you think this is an evolving power dynamic in the league between owners, players, management, Adam Silver? Is this an inflection well, point for everything? It's forcing the sale because the NBA could only do so much. So unless they change their bylaws or constitution or whatever they call it, then there really isn't anything the league could have done without the other owners in play here. But I do think that the idea of you know public pressure led by the players, I think, is something that has sort of a, been a sort of sweeping change over the last 10, 15 years. And I do think that, you know, for whatever what we say, whether we like what LeBron says or not, or whether we think he should dive in deeper or just leave it be, um, I do think it, it creates a pressure uh, for the league and for the people involved themselves. Like, is Robert Sarver going to continue to own his team and just sort of uh, clap back with LeBron James as for as long as he's in his, uh, even after he finishes playing his career, probably not. So I do think eventually he probably said, you know what, let me take these billions and run because these guys are never going to, sh- you know, never going to stop harassing me, the victim again. But I mean, but, but like what really changes here? Like we're still having a situation where the most sort of, I mean, I know the basketball players are millionaires, but the WNBA players are not. And like these players are the ones that have to do the most, like put their careers and everything on the line. Like you're like Chris Paul and, you know, all the Mercury players and the Suns players have to be in a position where now they have to do something about their racist, misogynist owner instead of like, why don't we change that dynamic and be like, why don't these white dudes like have a problem with another white dude saying the N word? And like, why can't they, why can we have a community of white folks who don't, who immediately see this dude saying the N word and say, we don't want him here instead, like LeBron James is not going to be there forever. Like there is going to be a lull in the NBA where the biggest superstars in the world are, you know, are waiting for the next LeBron or whatever. Then what exactly are we going to be well, doing? Well, that power here? dynamic's still going to well, be there. They're still going to be more but, powerful than the employees in that office who are probably afraid to speak up. Right, I agree, but I think there's but an element like so far less powerful than the, you know, than Adams, the people like who are actually can force him out. Right, and I think that that's the element we have to consider here. What we've heard is a, a mild threat from PayPal, which was in a year from now, if people still remember we said this, we're going to pull out as our jersey sponsor if he is still around. We heard both LeBron and Chris Paul and the minority owner for the Suns and the head of the NBA PA or whatever position that woman, I don't know if she's the lawyer for or the head for, but um, speak unequivocally about wanting him to step down. Um, but we don't know if those are the reasons for this. We could see that Robert Sarver's in a situation like Jerry Richardson, where he's now concerned about further digging, or he's now concerned about what happens next. And he says, I would rather make a ton of money and get out of here before I have to deal with a sustained pressure of this kind of spotlight for the next year. It might affect my other businesses, my other ability to make money, my ability to just retire and be rich and not have people bother me. Because look what happened in the NFL. We thought Jerry Richardson was some sort of movement pivot point for the ability to pressure owners that are bad in that league into change. It wasn't. Dan Snyder still has his team for all of the actions that we've seen from him. We've seen Jerry Jones and other owners be taken to task for things. We saw what happened to Colin Kaepernick without any real major accountability for the league, and it didn't change. So I'm not quite ready to say that this is a power dynamic shift of the of the kind that would be able to do this to another owner too. I think there's still going to be that protective 
a barrier around all the owners for each other so that they don't have their own closets looked into. I think Sarver, we need to learn more about what is influencing this decision before we decide that it's all because of the power of those who spoke against him. It is interesting to see which sort of ownership group feels like the more powerful. It does feel like the NFL ownership 100%. group feels like they can stand in, stand, hold their ground so much longer. But if you probably speak to them individually outside of their team ownerships and their team affiliations, it's probably, they probably all think they're pretty equal at that level. I would say no, because I think the NFL understands, too, that the market that they're allegedly appealing to and the demographics of their fan base allow them to be more forthright in their just racism and their antiquated belief system. Whereas the NBA, for all of the emptiness behind some of their progressive claims, their fan base is, I, I think the percentages of African-American fans, the percentages of progressive left-leaning fans, like that dynamic in the NBA, I think makes it more difficult for the owners to stare that in the face and not not acknowledge it versus, um, I mean, if you look at the quiet conservatism of NBA owners versus the outright and and proud conservatism that we see across the NFL, I think that probably affects, or it probably tells us a little bit more about um, which feels confident uh, standing up to their fan base. What do you got, Charlie? So I'm not not to push back too much, Sarah, but I do I don't think that the you know Jerry Richardson was forced to sell his team more or less in the NFL, and he went quietly with that before uh, more and more press was surrounding it. So there is some precedent for happening in the NFL, but more I think this is interesting that the NBA is not the NFL, that the power dynamic with its players are different and their voices matter. And that's what's so interesting about this. It's not a tenable situation if you have these venerated, you know, stars like LeBron James and Chris Paul who don't have to put everything on the line to oppose Sarver. Like, they right. are so comfortable in their position that they can do that without it being something but that's, that But that's what career. I was saying is we need to find out whether the reason for Sarver to do this is truly the influence of those players speaking up or if there's more to it. Because Jerry Richardson was quote unquote forced to sell, but he also went quietly. And I don't, that wasn't, I don't think that was an NFL vote. I don't think the other owners forced him. I think, I mean, we, we would need to dig into it, but I always had remembered the Jerry Richardson situation being one where stuff started to hit the fan and he bowed out not here you have to sell your team there is no choice and that's a difference maybe i'm just cynical maybe i'm just cynical here but there's so much more money in being a canceled uh misogynist person who spouts racism than there is just sitting there and taking it like he has there is a full anti-nba these woke right. players couldn't take it. They wouldn't let me heal. Thing that he's already. This statement is all. He'll probably run for office for that. Right. He could. He yeah. could run for. He could run for office. He could do the cancel culture tour. He can write a book about all this stuff. He could talk about. You know. He can go on Bill Maher and talk about how if if black people can say the n word, why can't I say the n word? And this is locker room culture. And pe- da da da. Like there is a full runway and precedent that has been set by people over the last few years who lose their jobs and make way more money by continuing to do that and there's more fame and money for him in that than just sitting back and taking well, the protests and everybody crapping on him exactly. in the NBA especially and in the he's un- got industry billions that he's of in. dollars and selling it right. yeah i mean yeah. in the industry he's in that's for sure because right. it's not going to work to be chesty about this behavior in the NBA it's not people aren't going to look fondly on it like they do in other spaces 
If I were Robert Sarver's age, or any of you were, and you could sell anything you owned for a billion <laughs> or two dollars, you probably would never hear from me again. I would probably never hear from any of you again, much less try to be in the media and trying to hammer home this whole, uh, yeah, that's kind of That's ridiculous. true, uh, but- We're still gonna talk about two or we're gonna stay on the NBA here. <laughs> I'm gonna change shirts if we're gonna talk about Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> I know, that shirt is way too nice to be talking about this dude. We, gotta, we need a wardrobe change. All right, guys. Sarah, you were going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that's true, except for you would have to change your perspective to someone who has so many billions of dollars that your NBA team is just a plaything that you use to be able to be around circles of celebrities and famous people that otherwise wouldn't talk to you. And maybe you would rather be rich and have fun with celebrities than just be rich. Well said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and let's let's pivot back to the rundown. Um, and I think we can all agree the Bills are really good. The Dolphins are exciting. And let's move on to Aaron Judge, who is very <laughs> quietly, very Dolphins quietly. Undercut again. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Tuanon's going to be so mad at me. Uh, but let's move on. Will you view Aaron Judge as the real single season home run king if he gets to 62? So when did the real season, single season home run king thing become like official because it's obviously not a, a thing, right? And so um, when when Roger Maris had 61 and uh, Mark McGuire broke it, and then I guess it was uh, Barry Bonds who's 73. Is that the number 73? Now this is the crazy part is that when it was 61, everybody knew it was 61. Now right. is it like 73? Yeah. It's 73. Uh, to me, it all depends on really, because it's such an arbitrary thing. It's just, it's a not real title here. Um, it just depends on how you think of it, because if you want to talk about the steroid era and, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s with MLB not testing until 2005, um, then you could say both pitchers and uh, batters would could be on conceivably and could be on a level playing ground, if you will, which is why, and I'm not really saying home run king, all that stuff, but which is why it's so impressive with Aaron Judge in an era where you're not, you know, the balls aren't leaving the yard quite as often. I know the rate is more often, but you're not hitting the ball as well, and pitchers seem to be dominating more, and he's performing like this and it's not like he's a six foot 180 pound dude he's six seven 280 pounds all that makes me think as long as he continues this for another five ten years that he's going to end up in my mind as the biggest you know the home run king whatever you want in baseball if he continues this for all of those reasons because we don't know there is that little bit of a question mark about Barry Bonds and everything else um so to me, I would say, yeah, this is the start of him being that home run king, but I don't see that as a single season thing. Is that weird? Yeah, because, I mean, the question is about the single season home run king, and it's about this particular record and how we view it in our minds. Barry Bonds has the record. That's the record that's in the books. That's the record that counts, regardless of whether you question the steroid use. What's fascinating to me, and I saw Roger Sherman tweet this earlier today, is when Maris was making his run, five players were in six within 16 home runs of what he was hitting. With Bonds, I mean, uh, with I think with Bonds, there were two. Um, in this case, look at what Aaron Judge is doing compared to the other players around him. That doesn't change who the single season home run king is. He will still have fewer than Barry Bonds did. But when we talk about these things, we very rarely point to the record books so much as have our own debates about who the GOAT is and who's deserving. And for some people, because of the way they viewed Bonds, if he passes Maris, they're going to talk about Aaron Judge as the guy. And for plenty of others, it's always going to be Bonds. That's who they watch do it. That's the one with the record in the record books. That's the one that's officially, you know, in black and white going to be the king. 
Um, so there's always going to be subjectivity around it, depending on who's talking about it. But I think the the metric that shows us most what Aaron Judge is doing is the one that's up there. Yeah, one I'm thing, not, I'm not, uh, one thing before you guys go, I want to know also how you guys will view it, because that's important too. the historical memory of Barry Bonds with his gigantic head and his gigantic muscles <laughs> and his baseball bat that looked like a toothpick hitting the ball 500 feet like that has jaded everything and Aaron Judge is doing it in an era where we think he's clean. So how do you view this record, which used to be the most hallowed single season record in sports? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do MLB's work for it. Like the MLB is the creator of its own asterisk by having, uh, you know, not having black players for the first half century and then allowing the steroid thing to go crazy. And then they're sort of like, no, 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 you guys decide what's No, that's <laughs> up to MLB to like have their own rules and all that to determine, you know, so it is going to be still Barry Bonds, like the, the Maguire and Sosa stuff. I was like 12. It was the coolest thing ever to watch that. Like those are the fond memories I have. I think we'll treat it probably closer to the way we treat the single game scoring in NBA. Like Wilt has the 100, right. which is like this thing that nobody's going to reach. And he had, he wasn't steroids, but he had this unfair advantage above everybody else by just being, is great and Kobe is at 81 and I think if somebody were to get to 82 they would stop the game and celebrate it as if it were sort of the new scoring title because it's achievable and I think that's sort of where we are now like Aaron Judge is getting the equivalent of a 82 point game in, in, in NBA. Well if you look back at all of them like they all had asterisks whether it be Babe Ruth and the era he played in whether it be Roger Maris it was an expansion year and they added I think eight games that season uh, obviously Barry Bonds and the you know the steroid era so this would appear and this is where everybody's going with this would appear to be the first sort of non asterisk clean uh, home run run in a season and I mean the asterisk to, for me though you know, six... is that the game is all home runs or strikeouts the asterisk for me is that they recently talked about the ball being different and whether or not you think this year they've brought it back and settled it down you know there's still there's I, and that's why I pointed to that that Roger Sherman post and, and the statistic about Schwarber is that maybe the most noteworthy is what they're doing in the same time with the same balls and the same pitchers and the same rules and the same competitors and for him to be 20, 20 up on well, everybody look, else. Look at that stat right there, the OPS plus, which is adjusted for era and ballparks, okay? Everybody else that's on that list, Maguire Bonds, that's all steroid era. That 213 that judge it, Willie Mays has never had that. Mike Trout has never reached that number, never even reached 200. So the idea of, hey, home runs are leaving the park at a more at a higher percentage, that's fine. But this, and this is where that's, uh, Mike Petriello from MLB wrote the story, like that number right there tells you this is one of the greatest batting seasons ever. So I think that sort of crosses over the era of, hey, he maybe wouldn't have hit 60 if we weren't all these, you know, aiming for home runs all the time. But I think this one would have lasted or would have endured in any era regardless. And if it was, you know, maybe during the, God, during the steroid era, could you imagine? He'd probably hit 100. <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what would Aaron Judge look Well, presuming that he's not on them now, what would Aaron Judge look like in the, Roy, in, in the Barry Bonds giant head era? Like three inches well, bigger I, than Mark McGuire, but probably the same build. If I, if I, as a as a longtime wrestling fan, I have a lot of comps that I can uh, come up okay, with. Okay, good. What, Throw uh, some Aaron out Judge there. would yeah. look like if he were, you know, he may, you know, hypothetically, the theoretically, he may look like like Ultimate Warrior or right. Hulk Hogan 
or right. you know one of those guys like just imagine like i was going just full on like dinosaur like not even yeah. human being just full-on dinosaur <laughs> I'm waiting. You said you wanted to rip his shirt off. I'm waiting for him to hit a home run where the shirt just rips by the biceps or shoulders, and it's like, oops, sorry Incredible about that. Incredible Hulk get a style. Jersey. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think to, I think the you, final. Sorry, I think I think I would think of him as the home run king, just because I feel like, and this is just my own personal belief that that steroid era just had that much of a boost to the numbers. Not saying he was a better hitter, batter than Barry Bonds, but just for the legitimacy of the of the season. Yeah, I, in my mind, it would be Aaron Judge. But what does that really matter? Let me play producer here for a second and throw up a question that I believe that we would often have on this show. Is it good for baseball if Aaron Judge passes Roger Maris? Yeah. I, I mean, think I think so. at you this have point like it's a, kind of indifferent, no? Yeah. I think it's good. You have a you have a, a quote-unquote clean 62. You know, like that's good. That feels old-timey and traditional in this really cool way. Like they ran the videos last night of uh, – you know, of all this black and white footage and it just felt traditional baseball and you kind of get that with, with Aaron Judge. So I think it would be good for how they talk about it. It just makes me think about how terrible a time he had during that season and how difficult it was for him to even get to 61. So I feel like if a handful of people pass him, maybe we won't have to remember those. <laughs> so bury it. <laughs> to me, this is the ultimate, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, did it happen type of thing? Like, this record has been so manipulated by the fact by the steroid era to be so absurd by both Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa that like it doesn't feel important, and that's like one of the saddest things for baseball, where the numbers are everything, where you can actually compare era over era, and the numbers are somewhat legitimate. Like, right? I wish this was he was just going for sixty-two, and that was the record, but he's not. He's not getting the single-season home run record. Yeah. He's getting this this like narrative driven home run king thing that we don't even do, do any of us feel that that's completely legitimate it's it's complicated mm. for all of us i think it's just more impressive the more you watch because you see a how large he is how majestic some of these hits are and just how difficult it is to get this many even for him well and so uh, you know if you don't watch it enough and just look at the numbers it's not as it's not the same especially considering how much the team needed him to do it he wasn't getting protection in the lineup they needed him in order to win games because they were struggling this was not like a cherry on top of a Sunday of like a winning team where it's just, you know, decorative. This was a huge part of what the Yankees needed in order to, to keep their, their, their hopes alive. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Charlie. I do think it's kind of a bummer that we're not, we care about it, even though it's a narrative driven thing. That's why we're talking about it, even though we know he's not going to break the 73, but it does feel so muddy at this point that people sort of like Izzy shrug and they're like, I don't know, I guess that's what I think, but who cares? Um, does it matter whether I think this or that um, versus back in the day when this used to be one of those definitives. But I think that's kind of the case across so many sports now, right? Between the technological advances, the understanding of our bodies, the ability to heal from injury differently, treatments, you know, LeBron sitting in an ice cave for his flights or whatever the hell he does. Do you guys two million know, dollars a year. Guys like, know how all of old that. Aaron Judge is off the top of your head? Or did you look that up by chance? 26. David? Yeah, I thought it was like 28 or something like that. He's 30. Oh. He's 30 years old, which makes it so, like I was thinking about him trying to get to 700 and I was, that's, that is 
quite, quite the task for him, even at this rate, because he's had like a few years in there where he didn't have cross 30. This has been De- uh, Debatable, presented by Corona. I'm pointing the wrong way. It's down there. <laughs> Sarah, David, Dolphins get screwed again. Yeah. Yes. I did it. Did both of them right. I'm wearing my flamingo shirt next time. All right.